I'm excited about this, uh, this passage this morning. Um, would anybody mind if I prayed again? Thank you, Charlie. Looking for a hand there. Nobody gave me a hand that they would mind, so. God, thank you for this morning, and I thank you for this opportunity for us to gather together as a body of believers called out by you to gather in this place, Father. Lord, I thank you that you've gathered each of us here, and I pray that you would center our minds around your gospel and around your truth this morning, Father. God, we want to know you. We want to know you better, God. I I pray that you would press your gospel deeper into our hearts than it is right now, God. God, may, may the voice of yours, may your voice reign in our heads and be the loudest voice in our head, God. Jesus is better. God, as we wade through this, this story and this message this morning, God, may that be the, the simple phrase that rings in our head over and over consistently, Jesus is better. God, we thank you for Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection and his example for us. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. So John chapter 11, is, as Amy just read, uh, a little bit of background for what's happening here is, is this, that what just happened in this area, what, what literally just happened was that Lazarus was dead for four days and he was just made alive. So this major miracle, four days somebody is dead. He's, he's buried, he's, he's been in a tomb for four days, and now he's alive. And everybody in the town knows it, right? This is a, this is a, a big deal. And so these, these religious leaders call a council because they're scared of what's just happened. And here's the thing that like just it when i come at this text from a surface perspective i think to myself somebody was dead and now they're not dead anymore and these people don't believe and not only do they not want to believe they want to kill jesus as a result and it just doesn't it doesn't compute in my mind but more than just a superficial look at, at the events that are happening here, reveal to, to my heart, and I hope at the end of today, to your heart, that we are very similar to that. We may not go to the lengths as to try to kill someone or call a meeting of 72 people to, to plot to kill someone, but effectively, we ignore or at least kill the voice in our head of Jesus calling us to something, to do something. And instead of, of believing that Jesus is the Christ, we believe that Jesus is a threat. So I don't want us to have a superficial look at this, that how in the world could someone who have just, just seen somebody raise somebody from the dead consider that person to be a threat, so much so that they would want to kill them. Instead, I want to see where we become like this council and see Jesus as a threat to our lifestyle because we wind there all the time. Let's get to the passage, 11, John eleven, forty-seven. 47. Uh, <clears throat> so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council 
I want to stop right there to, so we can get a picture of what's happening here. The chief priest, the, the main guy in charge, that's Caiaphas in the story. We'll hear he'll talk in just a minute. And the, the leaders of this council gather people together. And who this council is, it's 72 men who are leaders in this city. All right? These are judges. These are smart people. These are rich people. These are people who have a, a, a high place of authority and position. And there's 72 of them. I, I want to get that into our minds. There are 72 of these men who decide Jesus is a threat to us, so we're going to gather as a council and decide what to do. 72 people. So the Pharisees gather the council and they say, what are we to do for this man performs many signs? These many signs, you might remember as we've been talking through John, signs is another word for miracle. Jesus has done many miracles and he's done a really recent one. He's turned water into wine. He's healed people. He's healed a man that's born blind. He's encountered the woman at the well and changed her and she went back and changed a bunch of people around her with this message of the gospel. And now, most recently, a guy was dead and now he's not dead anymore. And so he's been doing all of these things and people are starting to believe him and that has these 72 religious leaders really worried. Verse 46 and verse 48. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe him and the Romans will come and take away both our place, our will come and take away both our place and our nation. This is idol worship happening at its at its core. Um, they've seen Jesus performing all these miracles and all these signs, and what they're worried about is people believing in this guy who is clearly something important. And instead of worshiping or believing in him. They've decided that they've got to get rid of him because he's a threat to their place and their nation. And those words are kind of, again, superficial, place and nation. But I want to examine what those words mean. First of all, when he says, when these leaders say place, what they mean is power, money, position, and hope. So, little history lesson. The Jews are under... Roman authority. They're, any authority that, that the Jews have has been given to them by Rome. All right? And so these people have a little bit of authority, but if, the, if Rome decides we don't want you to have authority anymore, they can take it away. And the, way that they're, the reason that they would take it away is because these guys aren't able to control their people. So if, if they can't control their people, the Romans are going to take away their authority. The Romans are going to take away their power. The Romans are going to take away their money. And the Romans, are, and more than that, all throughout the course of, of the Old Testament, the Jewish people were tied to their nation. They thought that by virtue of their birth, by virtue of their nationality, they were God's chosen people, which is true. God tells that all throughout the Old Testament. But they believed that if that was taken from them, their salvation was going to be taken from them. So I don't want you to like heap too many bad thoughts upon these Pharisees. They're fighting for their belief system. If the Romans come and take it away, they will no longer have their power, their money, their authority, but they'll also have their perceived salvation taken away. And they miss that because they miss the message of Christ. 
Christ has come into them and proclaimed to them specifically in times when they're able to, to hear Jesus talk, just like you're hearing me talk now. They heard Jesus say, I am the one that's come to bring the kingdom here. What they've been looking for that God had promised them forever was manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. All right? And so they miss that. Instead, they cling to an old thing that somehow our position as Jews and having our own country, our own state, is the provision of their salvation. And for us, we land there a lot. We have crafted for ourselves a religious construct that we like to call our salvation. And then sometimes, in the midst of that construct, Jesus enters into that and asks us to do something, to be something, to lay down a sin, to engage a neighbor, to do something like that. And we dismiss him because it doesn't fit into our construct. All right? So we can superficially see, wow, these religious leaders are really bad. They've decided to murder Jesus because he didn't fit into their religious construct. But for us, I want us to connect there and understand that these are idols that we press on with. The, the second thing, there's places, power, money, position, hope. Nation is identity and salvation, what I just kind of talked about. So Jesus is a threat to their power, their money, their position, their hope, their identity, their salvation. They say, this is who I am, and if you take it away, I'm going to be lost. And Jesus is a threat to these guys in this way. N.T. Wright, a uh, theologian, says this. Those who worship power define themselves in terms of it and treat other people as either collaborators, meaning you're going to help me in my struggle for power, or competitors, you're going to try and take my power away from me, or pawns, I'm going to use you to gain more power. People who worship power do that. They define themselves in terms of it, and they treat other people as collaborators, competitors, or pawns. These and many other forms of idolatry combined in a thousand ways, all of them damaging to the image-bearing quality of the people concerned and those whose lives they touch. I want you to know this. As we, we're going to press in more to idolatry in, as, as we go along, but I want you to know this, that your idolatry and my idolatry leans on one another and affects one another. So my idolatry can help you grow your own idolatry. If, if we're living in community, like we, we proclaim that we are, and I think we do a pretty good job, if we're living in community and we have unchecked idols in us, that wears off. And people see it and connect with it and, and, and gravitate towards it. And so what happens is we wind up worshiping the same idols, and we don't know we're worshiping the same idols. And so what we do is we gather around with 72 guys, all worshiping the same idol, all killing the same Jesus. You hear me? Like, this is, this is really huge for us. We, we've got we've to understand 
our propensity to be the counsel. Now, here's, here's the, the part of this. I wish that, that we could have, like, if we had, like, the next four days to have a sign-up sheet, I would like to have a 30-minute conversation with every one of you and, and look you in the eye and ask you a few questions. And, and here they are. What takes its claim as God in your life? And like, this is where, like, this... This venue is not the greatest for this perspective because we really, really, really need to ask ourselves these questions. And we really, really, really need to ask each other these questions. And we need to be hard and honest with ourselves and with each other when we're asking ourselves these questions. Because if I say to you in this format, and it ends here with this question, what takes its place as God in your life? Chances are we might answer that question in some way. We might even write something down on a piece of paper, but it's, it's not, it's not going to do much. I, I really wish that we could engage, that I could look you in the eye and make you give me an answer to that question. So look somebody in the eye, this, look, somebody that's here this morning, look them in the eye at some point this week and answer this question. And some of you that I know really well, I'll, I will be I'll be looking you in the eye and asking you this question. What takes its place as God in your life? Secondly, what has captured your attention and affection and makes you a slave to serve it and worship it? What has captured your attention and affection in such a way that it makes you a slave to worship it? For these guys, it was their power, their authority, their position, their wealth their identity, their salvation. Those things had so completely captured them that they were slaves to that thing. And they were slaves so powerfully that Jesus Christ was in front of them. God himself was in front of them and he was ignored. He was killed by them. You and I are really good at this. And we're not just really good at creating this idol, but we're really good at convincing ourselves that we don't have them. Do you think these guys, for a second, these guys had given their lives to understanding and knowing God? This is, these were the smartest theologians in the world here. They'd given their lives to that. But they missed Christ because of what was in them. Do you think for a minute, if they would have completely known that this is God in front of us, that they would have clung to their power and their authority? No, they were thoroughly blind to who Jesus was and thoroughly blind to who their their idols were, who their gods were. And we need to be pressing into these things all the time. That's the the Keller video that I showed. The, The point of all of this idol worship is that we would press the gospel down into the depths, the every depth of our heart. That we would believe that Jesus is better. Whatever it is that captures your attention and your affection and what you spend your time with, Jesus is better than that. Jesus is better than that. Test him. See if it's true. So I want you to... to, Here's here's the, the second part of this 30-minute eye-to-eye conversation that I would like to have with you. Um, God is calling you to do something. 
God is calling you to rid yourself of a sin, perhaps. God is calling you to engage someone with the gospel, perhaps. God is calling you to serve someone, perhaps. Or maybe God is calling you to relationship with him for the first time. But if you are, if you are breathing, God is calling you to something. And our response is we can ignore it until we don't hear it anymore. Or we can engage it. And here's all of what, what John has been talking about. Especially in John chapter 10. He is your shepherd, your good shepherd. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The idols are the thief. They come to steal, kill, and destroy. But God has come, Jesus has come to give you life. So as we lay hold of the thing that God is calling us to do, we can ignore it and choose the thief, or we can listen to it and engage it and choose life. Like, it's, it's so simple, but we're so good at, at lying to ourselves or ignoring the voice of God. Do you, do you realize that? Do you, can you, are you self-aware enough to know that you ignore the voice of God? I hope so. That's... that's Really, the, the point of, of, of what we're doing here this morning is that we could come to grips with the fact that we're good at ignoring the voice of God. And the result of that is death. Who wants, who wants to willingly place themselves in opposition to God? That's just dumb. Jesus is calling us to life. I want to... I want to stop and pray for a second because we can, I think God might be, God is, is calling us to something. I think God might help us to quantify what that is here and now. And I think if we, we move on without engaging this, we could do ourselves a disservice. So I want to stop and pray. And I'm going to be speaking words through this microphone and you will hear them. But what I would like for you to do is pray. Don't just listen to me pray. I want you to pray. That God would illuminate for you what it is that he's calling you to do. I listed a few things. Rid yourself of a sin. Engage someone. Serve someone. Say yes to him about something. But ask him. And then ask him again tomorrow. Or ask him again before you go to bed tonight. Ask him again when you get in the shower in the morning. Ask him again. Over and over again. And then ask your friends here. What God say to you? Here's what he said to me. Let's, let's just pray real quick and ask God to, to do these things for us. God, I pray for your voice to ring loudly in our heads. God, I pray that you would be clear. God, I pray that the things that distract us would be quiet. And your voice would be loud. And we would hear what you're calling us to do. And we would gather as a council to follow you, not to kill you. We would see you plainly. 
God, I pray for the people sitting in these chairs and the people that will hear this message. God, I pray. Lord, I pray that you would be clear to them, Father. And that we would see you as our good shepherd who wants to give us life. God, we trust you, but we want to trust you more. Speak to us. In Christ's name, amen. Let's move on. Uh, verse 49. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. I want you to, to, to get the physical picture again. 72 people, smartest guys in the, in the area, 72 guys together. The leader of these 72 smart guys stands up and says, you guys are all dumb. And this is my favorite part of this passage because of what he says next in verse 50. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Do you hear what he just said? This is the guy who is, if there is one human being most responsible for the death of Jesus Christ, it's this guy, Caiaphas. Later on that week, he'll stand in front of those same guys and tear his clothes and literally sentence Jesus to death. And he'll, he'll manipulate circumstances so that will happen. And what he just said here, a few days before that event happens, is the gospel. It's better for one man to die than a whole nation should perish. That's the gospel. That's it. Jesus came to this earth to die so that you wouldn't have to. Jesus came to this earth to do exactly what Caiaphas just said. Caiaphas, the the man, the single most important man in the death of Jesus Christ, just proclaimed the gospel. Doesn't that make you like, God is really cool, right? Right? He takes the wretched, awful, gross man that is Caiaphas and proclaims the gospel. Look at at verse uh, 51. He did not say this of his own accord, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. This, as a pastor... This is one of my favorite verses because it takes a whole lot of pressure off of me. I know who I am and I know my idols and I know their tendency to rule my life and my ability to ignore God. I know my connection with Caiaphas. But he didn't do it of his own accord. But being the high priest that year, God spoke through him that Jesus would die for the nation. I want to read you, I I tweeted this quote earlier this week. It's from John Piper. It says, be strong in the face of hard times and seeming defeat. Because God is not simply watching and waiting to turn it all for your good. He is in it from the beginning, planning it for your good. Like awful circumstances that present yourself, God's not reacting to that. He's in that from the beginning, planning it for your good. Just like he is here, 
These 72 men gathering together will plot to kill Jesus. God is in that from the very beginning. And here's the the cool part about that quote, and I put it on Twitter and Facebook this week. The first four people to to say they like that that post that I made. One was a woman who uh, has breast cancer and lost her baby as a result. She was the very first one. The second one is a mom of a good friend of mine who just lost a baby at eight months. Baby in her, eight months pregnant, she lost a baby. So this, the, the baby that was lost was this woman's grand, grandchild. So the cancer who lost a baby, the grandmother who lost a baby at eight months pregnant, um, a 19-year-old girl who's been battling leukemia for a year and a half. And this isn't just inconsequential or circumstantial. These are the first four people to respond to this. Like, that, like these people know pain, know pain presently, and react. That God isn't reacting to their circumstances. He's in it from the beginning, showing himself that he is better than their health. He is better than whatever hardship breast cancer and losing a baby bring. He's better than those things. And the, uh, the fourth one was uh, a mom whose son passed away about 10 years ago in a car accident. You guys know that's Debbie McLaren. She was a fourth to respond to that. And I, I just, like, that, seeing those four people just respond to, to, to that, because that's hard. If you, if you really see that, if we really boil that down to its end, if God is in her cancer, if God is in that 19-year-old's leukemia, if God is in the death of John, if God is in those things, then God is orchestrating those things, and it's hard. But the point is, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. I could have saved this all about 30 minutes this morning and just said Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And that's what I want to ring in our heads all the time. Because ultimately, our idols tell us that Jesus is a threat. But what is really true is Jesus is life. Do you you really believe, and not just really believe, but do you act like it? Does your belief lead you to movement that Jesus is better than whatever it is that's, that's got your attention and your affection. Than whatever it is that's calling you to say no to what God is calling you to do. Rid yourself of a sin. Serve someone. Love someone. Whatever it is that's causing you to say no to that. Jesus is better. Life is better. And the proof, practically speaking, is these four people who responded to this John Piper quote. Who have reason to say, no, Jesus is not better. Why, why do I have cancer? Why did I lose my baby? Jesus is better. Verse 53. The rubber's starting to hit the road here. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. From that day on, they made plans to put him to death. How much hate has to be in 
72 people for them to decide they want to murder someone. Think about what is happening here. There are 72 people. Not one of them stood up and said, guys, are we really sure this is the, the best way to go? That we're, are, we, are we really going to murder someone? And remember, these are people who have given their lives to following the commandments of God. If I asked all of us, let, let's, just, let's just practically do this, all right? Let's name as many of the Ten Commandments as we can name. Not rhetorical. Go. Thou shalt not kill. Right there. The second, he said, love the Lord your God quietly. The second one that I heard was thou shalt not kill. We're not brilliant scholars, but we know that one. You shouldn't kill. And these guys are people who had committed their lives to knowing and doing and teaching these commandments. And it took Jonathan or not about three seconds to come up with don't kill. And here they are, 72 of them. Nobody is willing to say, hey, wait a second, guys. It says here that we're not supposed to do that. What kind of hate has to be present? What kind of depth of idol has to be present to get these guys to, to do that, to be that, to say, this is our best course of action? And I want you to understand, these, a, a council that's convened, they gathered in a room where they, you know, picture like Washington, D.C. and the senators all coming together. Picture, you're watching C-SPAN that's, that's the same picture. It's, it's, it's a courtroom. It's official. And people have taken their particular places. They probably had signs in front of them. This is who I am and this is my authority. And they, they get chances to speak. And it's, it's very regimented and, and very specific in, in what it's doing. And, and the decision that they come to is murder. What kind of hate has to be present? What kind of depth a vital has to be present for that to be true. It just baffles me. And the response was Jesus was pressed into the wilderness. Jesus was pressed into the wilderness. Here's where it gets a little bit scary. When these people decided they're going to ignore God and try to destroy him, the result was Jesus was pressed into the wilderness. We're really good at clinging to our idols and ignoring Jesus, ignoring God. And the result is Jesus pressed into the wilderness. This is vague and ambiguous. Jesus is pressed into the wilderness of your life. But here's the thing that I want to I conclude on. These awful, wretched 72 guys say our best course of action here is to kill Jesus. The, what hate has to be involved there. Do you know what happened about, I don't know, maybe 10 days after they, this hate reigns in their life? Jesus is on the cross. One of the things you guys probably remember about one of the things that he says, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. kind of love has to be present 
Forgive them, Father. Forgive these awful, hateful men who decided the best course of action was to put me through this misery and torture. What kind of love has to be present for that? They didn't just... They didn't do something simple or, or not that... They, they, mur- they tortured and murdered him. And his response is, forgive them. The, the, that's the beautiful part. We are wrestling with our idols. We are saying yes to our idols. We're saying no to God. We're pressing him into the wilderness. We are destroying him. At least metaphorically. And Jesus speaks this to you. I forgive you. And that's got to that's, that's change us. And it's grace that's present there is, is profound. It's massive. And it, it's got to change us. It doesn't end with, thank you, Jesus, now I can go to heaven. It's got to end with, thank you, Jesus, now I want to follow you. I want to be just like you. I want to forgive like you forgave. I want to love like you loved. I want to serve like you served. That's got to be a response to grace. If it's not, we don't really understand it. Look at that picture. 72 guys say our best course is to kill you. Ten days later, Jesus says, I forgive you. That's got to change us. It's not just for some future day when we aren't breathing anymore. It's for today, here and now. Live your life filled with grace, responding to grace. This is the call, whatever it is that you wrote down or you're thinking about, that you want to tell somebody about what Jesus is calling you. It's got to be filled and supplied and motivated by this grace. And please understand, I am yelling and preaching at myself in my own heart. We're all broken and messed up and we want to kill Jesus or better than that, we want to enjoy grace, but end it there. The best is grace doesn't end with us. It flows through us. And we go and serve and love and give and, and, and pray and speak and press the gospel into every aspect of our lives. So it has our attention and our affection. It changes us. Let's pray and, and respond to our God. You are beautiful and mighty and awesome, God. Somehow, you have seen fit to love us and forgive us. Your grace is astounding. God, I pray that your grace would change us. God, thank you for Jesus. God, may he not simply be a ticket to heaven or a warm and fuzzy feeling on a Sunday morning, but may he be an example to us.
God, guide us now as we respond to you. We thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.